Hey, there it is. I heard it. All right, everybody. Welcome to this week's Yawa. We've got some really cool questions. with some really interesting, well, we think interesting answers and some stories that might go along with those to kind of put things into perspective. I think Kat and I both get into the habit a little bit of spewing the facts without the real world examples maybe to back them up. So we're going to try a little bit of that this time. But first, we have a couple things for you. This is the first video that you are viewing of ours. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the like button. We We appreciate it. And we appreciate everybody that subscribes to the channel. Now, I do want to ask everybody that's viewing here, our fans, all of the people right now, one big, 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 big favor. Everybody has seen the new puppy that we have, Clutch. We got that puppy from Bob at Lone Duck Outfitters in New York. Now, Bob has just kind of bopped back into a YouTube channel. He had a few videos from quite a while ago, and now I've got him on board. I pushed him a little bit, poked the bear. Um, back on board with putting some videos together for everybody out there about retrievers. Because when we were working with Sprig, which you may have seen some of his videos on our YouTube channel, if you didn't, definitely check out his playlist. There were tons of really good videos, but there weren't a lot of videos out there on like advanced handling stuff that we're interested in learning more about and doing those videos with Clutch. Absolutely. So, What I need you to do is bop over to Lone Duck Outfitters just after you watch this. Lone Duck Outfitters. We'll throw a link in the description below as well. And he just posted his new video, uh, I believe yesterday or day before. It's called Extending Marks. It looked like a very simple drill that is going to be very beneficial with some of our young dogs. And we're going to actually try and replicate that with maybe a couple of the puppies and a couple of the young dogs that we have here in the very near future. So, Bop over there, check it out, subscribe to his channel, and then in the comments below, just so that you can throw a little uh, pink gun pride all over the place, comment pink gun in the comments below. Nothing else. We want to see how long it takes him to figure out where or why this is happening. Let's answer some questions. Awesome. So... I want to get started with a couple really good questions. Actually, they're all going to be really good questions this week. Uh, We really appreciate you guys asking the questions. And if you're not sure how to be asking those questions, comment them on these Yawa videos. Um, I do sporadically go through and try and pick some um, questions that we get on some of our other YouTube videos too that I think, hey, that would be a good one to talk about in a Yawa. So make sure you're asking your questions there. But To get started from Sam Macy Designs, Yawa question, do you do any kind of maintenance training with your finished dogs? Say Vex, for example. I know you rode him, but any kind of steady to wing and shot refreshers, stuff like that. Cheers from Vermont. So hi hi from Kansas. So this is a great question and one that we can give a really simple, easy answer. No. Yes. (laughs) yes yes we do yes yes we do but But not with vex vex is basically perfect in every way practically perfect in every way but that's because he does get the opportunity to work 
a lot on those refresher training sessions, if you will. Um, we have clients that come out for consults on the regular. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to Ian Moody and Jerry Freeze. They're two of our pretty consistent consult attendees, if you mm-hmm. will. Um, they've got some Griffons that they are working with through advanced levels of testing and training. And doing Um, a nice job with them. Yeah, and doing a really nice job. So they come out and they need to work with bracemates. So our finished dogs, Nyx, Vex, Muddy, Grit, all of those dogs get to be thrown into the mix and worked through um, training sessions, which include that steadiness with steady to wing, shot, fall, um, until they're sent for the retrieve and just the fact of getting handled, getting to work with other dogs, keeps them, keeps them looking pretty sharp. Absolutely. does. In fact, we actually had, um, a potential client come out the other day that is interested in potentially getting a puppy from us and was interested in seeing some of our dogs work. And I wanted to just throw this out there because it was awesome how we did this. Um, it was getting warmer. It was a little bit, um, I think it was close to noon, yeah, it was and too it, hot. And it was warming up. So we were like, okay, we can't be in the field much longer. So we just need to do this all at once. So we're like, why not? We threw Nix, Vex, Hatch, Muddy, and Grit. We had five dogs. Yep. Five dogs that were ready to run. Yep. yep. Threw them all on the ground, ran them together as a giant brace, and they had to point back on her retrieve all of it steady, um, to show them, you know, some of the dogs that we have in part of our breeding program. And it was really cool to watch them all work together. Uh, grit mama who just had a litter of puppies go home recently. You know, I was expecting her to look a little rusty because she technically hasn't really been on. Yeah. First time in the field after having a litter of puppies. So it's been five months or so. Mm-hmm. And she handled the first bird perfectly, so that was really impressive. And the no second movement. bird perfectly. Yeah, the third bird, she was really close, right on top of it, and she did try and take a couple hops, but was very handleable. Um, so really cool to see that with you know our dogs that have finished through masters and aren't always in the training routine um, to be able to just come out and pick it back up like it's uh, riding a bike, I guess, for the dogs. Yeah, it's um, it's very impressive to watch. The dogs really get to understand training grounds and they understand what they know. And a lot of people get worried about this specifically. Um, your exact question, what are you doing for maintenance stuff? A lot of people get worried about that when they come and pick up dogs from training. They're like, what do I need to do? How do I get them on birds? How many times do I have to get them on birds between now and the season? The answer is typically little to none. And I mean, the biggest thing you're going to be doing is building your confidence handling not necessarily doing a whole lot for the dogs themselves. So it's one of those things that, um, you know, they, they retain that, they retain that stuff pretty well. It, they do. And I know I'm talking about, we do use them frequently when we have consults and things coming out, but we're not training them on the regular. Um, we're utilizing them for those consults because we don't want to overdo it either because you can get to the point where it's boring. You're just planting birds. They're planted birds. They're not wild birds. Um, and the dogs get bored with it. So it's important to also take them hunting on wild birds so they can enjoy what they're doing a little bit. Um, you'll probably say, oh, well, it's training. Don't they enjoy that? Well, it's pretty routine. It's pretty similar, um, less of a challenge, if you will, for them. So getting them out on wild birds is also really important. 
I think on average they enjoy it still, but what ends up happening is because you're using non-wild birds is they get pretty naughty sometimes. That, and we're using similar training grounds over and over and over. So Nixer, my my naughty little Nixer, he um, has gotten really good at tracking people and four-wheelers, and he'll run out, smell where the four-wheeler or the mule or the person walked in to plant a bird, and he'll go, point. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So he can learn some naughty habits too. So it can be overdone, but yes, we do run them periodically to keep them um, sharp as far as their steadiness goes. And then other things that we do, if you follow along with our Instagram and Facebook stories, is we condition them by roading them. Yeah, which she mentioned in there. I know that the dogs get roaded, but that becomes the biggest thing for preparation to the hunting season. If the dog is in shape, the rest of it, I mean, will fall right into place. Yes, sorry. I was swallowing a big gulp of beer. It's ice cold, tastes so good. Needed a nice big swallow to start out. Um, But one thing that I did want to say after we did, no comment from you. Nope. So one thing that I did want to say after talking about running those five dogs together steady, which was really cool to see, uh, Ethan and I thought that would be a good thing to just throw into a video using the new drone. Yeah, drone would be a good way to shoot it. Yeah, using that because, I mean, we'd be out there handling the dogs or I'd have to throw Jess out there handling the dogs and try and walk around, which I have been told in how many videos I need to get a steady cam or a gimbal or something because I'm not the steadiest field walker with the camera. I'm trying to get better, but um, so it does make it a little jarring to follow along in the field. So I think the drone bird's eye view type of um, interaction with a video like that would be really cool. Absolutely. So, great question. Next question is from Alden Filco. I just got my little pup, Hudson, a GSP. Mm, Cute name. Congrats. And I'm finally starting the training process. I currently live in an apartment and then... Those were not real words. Reverse. Restart that sentence. I am currently living in an apartment and M. There was a lot of A's in there. An apartment and M. So that was my tongue twister. Not able to keep pigeons. Are there any other methods to teach woe besides positive pigeons, which you utilize? And this is a good question because we have been asked a lot lately And not just even lately, um, it's a pretty common theme, you know, hey, I live in town, I don't have access to birds on a regular, how can I train my bird dog without birds? And birds make a bird dog, but we get it, you live in town or you don't have access to birds on the regular, so coming up with alternatives isn't a bad idea if it's possible. Now, there are certain things that there's going to be no substitute for birds, but for woe training, like you're talking about, there actually is. Yeah, we did a, a video, a mini series, if you will, with Legend, where we actually show how we utilize um, his retrieving desire as a form of reward, similar process. And then also with bumpers. With bumpers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was what we, that, that was what I was missing there. Um, but it's, it's one of those things that what we get caught up doing is showing how we utilize the best and the most Most efficient efficient. and all of the things that work in the dog's favor. And we understand that not everybody has access to all of these things. So we're trying to throw in a few videos here 
um, like Legend Series, it's specifically why we did that, to show how to do that. So if you go to our channel, playlists, it should fall under Woe Training, training, I believe. I'll double check that, but pretty sure it says Woe Training. And there's a couple set of videos. It should be only like three videos yeah, that show like that. how we do that. Yeah. Now, uh, it, just to mention, this is a is a little thing. The age is important. Typically, we're not doing formal low training until the dog is somewhere between the vicinity of eight and twelve months, depending on their maturity level and all of those things. All so. of those things. Um, and I also wanted to throw out there uh, because, like I said, we get the question: How do I train without birds? A lot and. We actually just shot a video with Thunder doing his gunfire intro using his retrieving desire with bumpers. And that should be posting here pretty soon. So like I said before, or Ethan said before, make sure you subscribe to our channel, hit those notifications so that you don't miss videos like that that are upcoming. Um, The important thing that I'm just going to throw out here now, but I also reiterate in that video is you need to make sure that your dog has enough bumper and retrieving desire and drive that you can utilize that for a gunfire intro. So that's all I will say on that. No more spoilers. Check out the video. Perfect. What's the next question? Next question is from Tom Kraus. Hello. Thanks for helping me with my setter and your advice of keeping him from running away. He now handles pretty well and we placed some chuckers and pheasants in the fields. He is pointing them now, but once they flush, he will chase them a half mile away. How how do I train him to remain steady for the flush? We have not shot over him yet. So I wanted to talk about and touch on this question, especially because we just got finished talking about formal bow training Mm -hmm. with legend and being, you know, closer to that year mark before you're really starting that. And I'm not 100% sure how old your setter is, but based on where he's at in training, because People get hung up on what age should I be doing this with my dog? And an age is just a guideline. Well, it's similar to that book that you were reading where they talk about blocks in training. Yeah. So, um, fun story, fun story, potty training story with our son, Aiden. Um, I'm trying to read and be a good mom. This was literally day one of our true attempt at, uh, beginning the potty training process. Yes. Um, and we were mildly successful, I would say. We only uh, went through like I don't even know. eight or 10 pairs of clean underwear, uh, one good potty on the floor, one good streaking poop through the house. <laughs> I, I, he ran into the other room and, they, and, you know, reading, we read up on all the things, trying to study and learn and do stuff right. This is our first kitty bobber. So um, surprisingly enough, potty training a child is very similar to potty training a puppy. Uh, minus the fact that the child has a slightly more advanced brain. Um, but uh, if they if they go off kind of to hide-ish to go to the bathroom, um, that usually it's kind signal. of a sign that you're getting ready for potty training or close to or ready or whatever. And that's a signal and sign to look for to get your... I was going to say puppy. <laughs> to get your puppy, get on, your the puppy on the potty. Get your puppy on the potty. So he comes uh, trotting. He was hanging out with us and running around and being a little kid and he runs into the dining room and I was like, uh, I wonder if he's going to hide to go to the bathroom. Cause we had, we were wait, kind of waiting on an opportunity for the evening. And I went Aiden and he turned around and ran right back through the house. And I was like, okay, well he didn't have time to, and then I see the poop <laughs> all down the back of his leg because his like, little, ah! 
big boy underwear has a little bit bigger leg holes because Aiden's like a skinny, scrawny little kid. So I couldn't find any smaller ones. So he's in the smallest size they offer and they're a little gapy along the legs. So yeah, um, we digress though. But in the book that I was reading, it talked talks about about blocks, blocks, which are stages of training, not necessarily day one, day two. So it's more about what you've accomplished before moving on to block two, not how many days it takes you to get through that stage. And that's the same with dog training a lot of times. So saying, you know, your dog needs to be a year. Well, even if your dog's a year and they don't have some of the other prerequisites and maturity level necessary to start that training, it's not like, oh, well, they're a year so I can start it, even though I've not done this, 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 or this. Yeah. So, um, with your setter, it sounds like you're trying to do too advanced steadiness at not the right stage. Um, because if you haven't even shot birds around him yet and you're trying to study him past the flush of the bird, um, that's typically something that we don't recommend doing. We want to make sure that the dogs understand their purpose out there, which is pointing birds and then retrieving them. Mm -hmm. And if you try and take away the chase and the retrieve, which is what you're ultimately doing with steadiness training in the beginning, that then, you have never even shot birds over them. Then you're taking those things away. Your dog's going to get to the point where he's like, hmm, I don't even know what I'm doing out here. And it's really not that much fun anymore. So he could get pretty sour about training or just lack an understanding or you get through the steadiness and then you can't get him to retrieve because he's like, Mm-mm. no, 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 no. I don't move. Remember, you've taught me that. Um, so making sure that they have all of the understanding before you start that steadiness would be important. Now, having the expectation of being steady to flush. And then once the bird takes off, the dog gets to take off and not run away a half a mile would be your formal woe training, but also collar conditioning to recall. You should be able to redirect your dog's focus off of that bird when it hasn't been shot and it's not going down and be able to recall them back to you. That would be something that if you aren't able to do, you need to really go back and proof your collar conditioning to recall. Yeah. Based on what you're saying in the question here, I wouldn't be worried so much about the steadiness aspect of things. It really sounds like, and these are terms that get kicked around a lot and they kind of mean different things about steady to flush and steady to shot and steady to yada, yada, yada. Essentially, what we're saying is the dog should hold point until the bird is in the air in the early stage of development. It's the most natural way for them to hunt and do their thing. Naturally, they want to point and naturally they want to chase things. That's kind of what they're designed to do. So anytime we take away that chase, it is an unnatural thing and we need to make sure we have a strong enough understanding. That's what we're hoping because if you don't, you end up with the sour training or lack of desire to do the task anymore because they're like, well, this isn't any fun. Why am I going to do this? Now, all of that being said, if you get to the point where you're interested in doing that, we just shot an entire series that is now done with Hatch. I showed from step one to step, I don't know, 12 or something of how to get him from breaking with the flush of the bird, which is exactly what we're recommending you do at this point, to standing and handleable. Keyword key there is handleable. No dog is perfect. No dog is going to do everything perfect, but they should get to a point where you can stop them or handle them or keep them from um, actively chasing and they should stand a majority of their birds steady to wing shot and fall, meaning they stand there until you release them to go make retrieves or move on to continue hunting. And um, I just have to toot 
Hatch's horn a little bit because he has been a very trainable dog, a very nice dog, a dog that we're super excited to have part of our breeding program. And we were just talking about this because we literally just shot his last video of the series. Like Ethan said, there's going to still be more repping and hunting him and things like that. Um, but we just shot that. It'll also be coming out here pretty soon. And I was like, probably by the end of the week. Yeah. I was like, how many sessions did it actually take hatch? Um, and so I counted up the videos in his playlist and then we talked about it and he ran three other times that we didn't shoot videos where we were just repping what we had just taught him in the videos. And it ended up being 13 training sessions. 13. Lucky number 13, whatever you want to call it. That's freaking impressive. You tooting Hatch's horn, you toot my horn. Definitely Hatch's horn. <sighs> Come on now. I mean, good job, honey. Thanks. Thanks. But check out that playlist. It's also on our YouTube channel playlist, Setting His Training with Hatch. Check it out. It's really good stuff. Mm -hmm. So those were some great questions for part one. We will be back very soon with part two. Welcome back to part two of this week's Yawa, where we are going to answer some really great questions. Um, Ethan and I just got done finishing part one, and literally, I said, I think that's the best Yawa we've ever done. If you haven't watched or listened to it yet, go back, listen to that. Tell us in the comments, what do you think? Part one, good, bad, indifferent? Best of the best, or just so-so. So, so. Anyway... If it's your first time to the channel, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and turn on notifications. We really appreciate it. Um, so you don't miss any of our really great videos that we're talking about. So I want to answer this first question because I have a mosquito bite on the outside of my arm. You want me to scratch it for you? No, or or what, you, no. what you pointing it out for? It itches. You want me to scratch it for you? No, thank you. <laughs> okay, so I want to answer this first question because guess what? Hunting season is here. I mean, dove season's opened up, and we are going to be going to Montana here pretty dang soon. So Hopefully. We are going to be going to Montana here pretty dang soon. Heard some horrible stories about lizards or something. Yeah, it's still a couple weeks away, so it's got time to melt. Anyway. The only thing is that I'm saying right now is the cold weather changes the flight patterns and everything of the grouse. So they end up... Everybody that's a big uh, sharp tail hunter kind of knows what I'm talking about. When it gets cold, they into big old big flights, and then, and then they're virtually impossible to get close to them. So we just have to evaluate if we get cold and what happens. Okay. Wah, wah, wah. We'll see. Push that button. We've got that button. Oh, which one is it? I think it's the teal one. This one? Teal. <laughs> nope, I was wrong. Ah, you were right. I was like, had it floating over the green button, and then she's like, no, 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 press the teal. I think that's the first time I've pressed the right button. It is. And we haven't pressed those buttons in a long time. We got to use them again. It's fun. Anyway, we digress. Here's the question from Gabriella 
Elizabeth Ryder. Yawa question. What are some must-haves for the first ever hunt season for both dog and handler? Plan to do upland hunting this fall. I'm extremely excited for our first season. However, I've never hunted in my life. I'm mainly hunting for my dogs because they have a true drive for it and training them to do something they were bred for has sparked a passion in me. I feel ill-prepared gear-wise, but dogs are ready training-wise. So two things to start off with. Awesome question. It is an awesome question, and I love the way that it was put in there. She wanted it answered in a Yawa, so she threw that in. Yawa question. Commented in one of the YouTube videos. Probably one of the last Yawas. Yes. But you can comment on any of our YouTube videos. We're pulling all of the questions that we're answering in these from YouTube videos. So... And I also love the fact that you're saying, hey, you've never hunted before, but you're doing it for your dogs because this is what they've been bred for. This is what they're training for. Um, And that is really awesome that it sparked a passion in you. So a couple of things. Um, You want to make sure that you have your hunting license for wherever you'll be hunting. Key. Yes. Um, And most likely you'll also need a hunter safety class and card. Mm Mm-hmm. Then some states allow you to take them online. I would advise against doing that if at all possible. Some people look at hunter safety as more of a, I have to take hunter safety and they really teach a lot of good stuff. You know, the book portions kind of sometimes, but a lot of them have an actual hands-on portion. Like a practical part. Yes. And you get to shoot handle guns most of the time. Safely and learn what proper gun handling is. Yep. And then they have you do some simple things like um, walk with somebody and cross a fence and handle a firearm while doing that and teach you the proper way to do that. And then also uh, when I took hunter safety, which was a couple days ago, a couple years ago, um, they actually had us go up to a landowner and ask them for permission. And I didn't even think about the fact of how beneficial or important that really was to kind of infuse into a young mind. Cause I took hunter safety at the earliest age that I was allowed to, I think 11 or 12 or something was in Iowa at the time when I took it. So, um, but you know, it was important for us to understand that people have land and, and there's public ground too. But if you find a spot and you go, that looks like a great spot to hunt, you can go talk to the landowner and ask them for permission. Now it's probably not probably, it is harder today with a lot of things that are going on, but still you can go ask. Um, and, uh, that got brought up and not to pick on Jess, but she, she said that to me the other day. She's like, can you go, how do you get different permission to go to places or something to that effect? I said, you can always go ask the landowner, you know what I mean? Um, and she's like, oh, I didn't really even think about that 100%. So it's important to, uh, it's important thing to mention. Yeah. So, um, as you can tell, we're big on safety and following the rules. Uh, so I would also recommend having a med kit. Uh, first aid kit for your dog, as well as maybe some things for you. But, um, if you are interested in what kind of things we suggest to put in a med kit, we actually have a video on a med kit. It was actually part of a giveaway, but it still goes through everything that we recommend that goes in a med kit, how to use some of the stuff. Like Ethan actually staples his arm in this video. Spoiler, go watch it. It was epic. Um, (laughs) 
It yeah. was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Staple disarm, remove the staples with the remover. So um, check it out. But it also talks about all the things that you should have in a kit. And we actually have the kits available on our website, I believe. Um, I took them down for a while. So I don't, like I said, I don't know if they're up because during COVID, it was really hard to get some of the supplies and it was hard to fulfill. It was really, really hard. But I think that based on everything coming back in stock and stuff, <laughs> that they are back up. Um, so those are some of the things that I definitely recommend. A good pair of boots for yourself. Comfortable boots, comfortable pants and clothing. Um, a good vest that fits comfortably, that has enough room to hold the game that you recover. Um, and I recommend an orange hat. It's not necessarily required. Depending on the state that you're in, um, orange is not always required for upland hunting unless it's required in a subsequent or what would be a better a season that is happening at the same time like deer season yeah so a lot of times upland seasons are going to run from x date through the end of the year and there will be other seasons that happen to hunt deer or whatever in between there and if there's a rifle season going on and you are in the field actively hunting pheasants even though it may not be required for that you are still required. Um, it's the same thing with archery hunting. You're not required to wear orange when archery hunting, but if you're archery hunting during rifle season, you need to be wearing orange. It is a requirement and it's drastically safer to do so. So though it may not be a requirement, um, I still highly recommend it because safety, it's safety, safety, safety. Yeah, yes. you, you, it's not going to prevent you from sneaking up on the birds or anything. Yes. Um, the other side of it is um, kind of back on the landowner aspect of things, a really good way to do figure that out. It's uh, an app you can get for your phone called Onyx Maps, O-N-X, the letter X, Maps. And it is a, it's a plot map on your phone. Um, you can actually download some of the maps too, which is a pretty cool thing. So if you don't have cell phone reception or something like that. Where you're going hunting, yep, you can pull all that stuff up ahead of time. It'll show you the property lines. You can get topos. You can get... Some different things mixed in there. But and most, owner information. Most importantly, it has who pays the taxes, which can usually get you pretty close to who you need to talk to about hunting. So that's also a really good point. Um, what else would you say that is a requirement? Good ammunition. So if you are hunting, um, if you're hunting ducks or something like that, you also need to make sure that you have non-toxic ammunition, mm-hmm. yep. which is something to think about. Um, we use uh, primarily Kent ammunition uh, for all of the hunting stuff. And training. A, yeah, and training loads. Um, They've got their poppers for blanks as well as their target loads that we use in training. The but, only thing from an ammunition, stand, ammunition standpoint that we don't use Kent for would be like uh, 209 primers, 209 primers and 22 blanks for things. So, uh, they've got a really good selection of steel loads as well as non-toxic upland and waterfowl loads. And, um, if you're looking for some really heavy stuff, they actually have tungsten ammo, which I will be shooting for the first time this year. When we go goose hunting, I'm going to actually try and shoot some tungsten, which is, has a higher density than lead. So they're supposed to be harder hitting, and we're going to do a little comparison video, I believe, is my plan. If we can make it happen, um, the difference between, I think those tungsten loads are like 
four and a half dollars a piece. Um, <laughs> so they're not cheap, but uh, we're going to do kind of a comparison with that and the um, really quality uh, Fast Steel 2.0. That's what it was. I was looking fast. I was almost going to say that, but I didn't actually read your mind today. So Steel Steel, Fast Steel 2.0 rounds, which are drastically more affordable and still really, really good. So. Um, and then for your dog, I would also recommend, uh, the potential, depending on the type of cover you're hunting, um, a chest protector. We run chest protectors on our dogs a lot of times, um, depending on the type not of not neoprene ones. Yes. Not neoprene. Um, it's more of a cordura nylon chest only protector so that if they're hopping barbed wire fences, it's a little added protection as well as the type of cover. If it's super abrasive and, um, rough, it helps protect their chests a little bit, which can get pretty raw. And then if you are typically standing grain fields are really, really hard on dogs, like standing Milo or standing corn even sometimes. And it doesn't even have to be standing. It could be cut because the dogs still are running through, you know, the stubble and Mm. it can be pretty rough on them. Um, and then if you're waterfall hunting, because I don't think it's said if you were upland hunting for sure, but if you're waterfall hunting, we just tried out, um, we just, tested out in a sense of fitting the Momarsh's new Versa vest on some of our dogs. And it looks to be a really good option for short hairs or other breeds other than labs, which it seems like most of the other vests are really geared towards fitting. Yeah. Designed for water dogs. Yep. I mean. And so, um, this would be a potentially good option for you. We're going to be testing it out this, uh, hunting season as well to see how it stands up, but got it looks one, like a really good option. Yeah. We've got one rocking and rolling on shooter. So expect to see some of that. Yeah. He hunts and, a lot of waterfall. So that was a really good question. I hope we were able to answer it, answer it to the best of our ability as well as, um, get you the information you needed. So the next question that I kind of wanted to talk about um, with talking about first-time hunting dogs is from Signe Nylander. Hi from Sweden. Sweden. All right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. (laughs) It just kind of came out of there. This is awesome. I found your channel this week and have already plowed through almost 50 videos. Anybody that can top that. In one week, call it out. Put it in the comments. Who who, who binged the most here? Oops. Must mean they are good, though. (laughs) I have recently gotten my first own dog, an Aussie female named Laika. She is now 20 weeks old, and our training is going awesome. She is such a smart pup and super fun and easy to train. I have noticed she has a talent for retrieving, and she loves to track, as well as search for dummies. I absolutely don't intend to hunt with her. However, my next dog will be a working field line Labrador or a GSP that I'm going to train to become a bird dog. But my question for you is... Have you any experience training or working with non-hunting dog breeds for hunting? Any thoughts? Can they become successful, if only to some degree? Keep up the good work. So that's a good question. Um, That's awesome that you have been binging our videos. Um, And Laika, as an Aussie, it seems like those cattle and working dog breeds 
are very intelligent and very trainable. So the fact that she wants a job, wants a purpose, and is doing that via retrieving, tracking, um, and the other training that you're doing is awesome and not completely unexpected. I mean, you watch some of these dogs that are trained to do choreographed dance routines. Those are pretty awesome. I know, well, I would guess that most of our short hairs wouldn't be able to do that. Maggie would have been maybe the only one. Maybe. Maybe. And it would have been a really short dance routine that, like, involved three moves. (laughs) But, um, so the fact that you've got a dog that is highly intelligent definitely helps them be able to learn new goals, new training things, so. I've got a... We know of a couple of different dogs, first of all, that are off breeds that do a little bit of this. And one of which is, uh, doesn't, well, I guess technically a dachshund is a hunting dog. You're talking. Aaliyah. Yeah. dog is not, that's what I was about ready to say, actually. So Aaliyah's dog is, I don't think it's just, a, is a purebred dachshund. I think it's like a purebred mutt. Just a It small, looks like a weenie dog. Well, maybe it has some weenie dog in it. I don't know. I'm stalking her on Facebook. Phone, phone a friend. Phone a friend. I got to see if she's got anything about her weenie dog. But it's, It looks it's like defi- a weenie dog. It's definitely not a bird dog. Right. Fish, and it retrieves fish, too, in this picture. What? Yeah. That's a... <laughs> Um, but it's, it's smaller. The thing's only this big. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a little dachshund. Yeah. But I mean, there's some English cockers that are little that can retrieve pretty dang birds. Well, maybe before this is over, we'll know what it is. Long story short, it's a teeny tiny little itsy bitsy. Teeny weeny. Yellow polka dot bikini. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Wrong song. Non bird dog. And, uh, she uses it as a strike dog. It runs in, flushes, retrieves. It's just, there are dogs that can do that. Put the time in, have a dog that has something. And you are starting with a dog that is a working breed by nature. So incorporating a new job isn't that uh, abnormal. Uh, much like versatile dogs that we train short hairs becoming detection dogs or search and rescue dogs or any of those kind of things. And then we actually have another uh, friend who has a terrier, pit bull. Pitbull mm-hmm. that he uses for retrieving work as well and duck hunts with. I actually have a really cool picture uh, that we're going to pop up on the screen as well as I can try and show it to the camera real fast. But um, you know how that works. You just have to hold it at our face. That's the focus oh, face, zone. Face. There you go. Yep. Zoom in on that. But that's Max. And he. <laughs> what do you think of that? <laughs> but he is a duck retrieving fool. I mean, he retrieves all of these ducks um, and does a really nice job for his owner, Joe. These are all geese. There was one picture that had ducks. Oh, so those geese. Oh, there are some ducks, aren't there? Yeah, the ones on top, those are mallards. Yeah, yeah. And there's some Canada geese in there, too, it looks like. Oh, Canada. Anyway, so Max is obviously not also a specific hunting breed. He's a pit bull terrier, and he has been trained to retrieve waterfall. And he has to be able to swim. And those dogs are fairly muscle-bound with not giant feet. So the fact that he's able to do that 
is, is very impressive. impressive. It's essentially like watching Dwayne The Rock Johnson try and go swimming. I'm sure he's not that good at it. He what? was in Baywatch. Oh, snap. <laughs> so, haters going to hate, but... Maybe it's not. Let's go with uh, Next Step. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know anybody. But anyway, so muscles. having a non-specific hunting breed, sure, they can learn and be trained to do something that they haven't necessarily been bred for. Speaking of which, though, Max might benefit from one of those Versa vests by Momarsh because, I mean, he is not built by a la- like a lab either. Yeah, there's a lot of gappies in that. Uh, maybe we can hook him up. Yeah, look at this vest picture. Where'd it go? Oh, yeah, that's uber gapy. So that Versa vest, I think, would be a little bit better fit for him. Um, but anyway, so yes, non hunting specific breeds can also learn to do hunting behaviors. Um, we like to say dogs that have been bred for it are going to typically come to that a little more naturally. Um, and I'm not, not recommending you go down to the pound and pick up, uh, what you call it and say, this is going to be the next bird dog. But I mean, if it's already your family dog and you say, we kind of want to do this. It's, it's a possibility. For sure. So that was another really good question that I wanted to answer. Do we have time? Nope. The green button. We don't have time for another question in part two, but we will be back very soon with part three, and we'll try and get through just a few more questions for y'all. Thanks guys for watching. See you soon. And we're back. Part three. And we're going to answer questions starting right away because there are a lot of really good ones that I want to get to. And Ethan always cuts me off. So we got to get through all of these. Kind of like First, Mulan. Yeah, we I just got watched Chi, that. baby. We just watched that. Sarah McCreelis. Which Beretta shotguns do you guys hunt with? Mm, all of them. Okay, so we <laughs> don't hunt with all of them. Uh, it's funny. We train with... Uh, it really kind of depends on what we're hunting. Yeah, and I was going to say, so we primarily train with the Beretta Silver Pigeons, 20-gauge uh, break open. Uh, I like to be able to have the sh- shotgun balancing on my shoulder while I'm handling dogs and doing things. A little safer to be broke open. Yeah, otherwise you've got that semi-automatic that you can't balance that you either have to lay down and then you want to make sure that it's for sure unloaded and unsafe. Um, but it's, it's a lot to handle. So that as well as I do hunt with that gun as well, depending on what we're hunting. Yeah. I typically hunt the small upland game, the gentleman's bird, uh, quail. Yeah. I like to quail hunt and dove hunt with my over and under. Why? Don't know. I like it. I like mine as well. And then um, I actually got the A400, no, I got to remember, A400 Explore. I got that as a Christmas gift one year. Mm -hmm. And then Ethan confiscated it and turned it pink, which I gave him the approval to do. I asked real sweet. Yeah. So he- Gave her the puppy eyes. (laughs) Yep. So I was like, sure, but just 
remember that you're going to owe me a shotgun in the future. Um, I actually got my silver pigeon as a push present. And then just this last season, because like I said, he still owed me a shotgun for turning my other one pink. And dear God, don't ever catch her dead with a, one of my pink guns because it's pink. Yeah. And you're the guy with the pink gun. I'm mm. not the girl with the pink gun. But then. Yeah, it's not kind of, it's not quite as weird. Yeah, no. And then this year we got up to South Dakota and I don't even know what I was planning on shooting. What did I think I had in my gun case? I don't know. You probably just planned on the fact that I was going to pack it for you and you didn't even think about bringing a gun. I don't even know what I thought I was going to be shooting. I think I was thinking, I don't know what I was thinking. You're probably like internally pouting about having to shoot your over and under. Maybe. I think I probably was because I headshot it on another trip. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so we get up to South Dakota and we're getting guns out of their cases and wiping them down and making sure they're not getting super con- condensed condensation on them. There we go. And I open up my shotgun case and there is a new shotgun sitting in there for me, the Breda A400 XL, and it's blue. It's so pretty. Essentially, what happened here is I surprised the heck out of her. And I did so by also. The, the surprise was wearing a hole in my pocket, and I was like, hmm, how can I get this to happen now o'clock? <laughs> I was like, hey, cat, we we just drove uh, two states, so that means you got to wipe your shotgun down. And she's looking at me. I'm like, uh, you want it to work or not? And <laughs> she's like, fine. And goes and gets it and opens it up and was like, Pretty much speechless. I was pretty surprised. It was a good one. It was a good one. I I expect more surprises. I expect more surprises like that in the future. Is that is that just guns specifically? Is that what you mean? I'll take anything. Well, not anything. (laughs) I rephrase that. Anyway, next question from Nick Long. Yawa question. Hiya. Speaking of Yawa question, I love how you put that in there. Folks, we are pulling the questions for these videos from you on our YouTube channel. Throw them in the comments. If you have questions, you want answers, throw them in the comments below. Yeah, so check out YouTube. Hit the subscribe button. Turn on notifications. Then you won't miss any of these videos and answers. So how do you work into multiple marks for your dogs? I have a one and a half year old Griff and he will be retrieving one bumper and then has to go check out the other and has to decide which to bring back before returning. When it's just one mark, he does really well returning it to a heel and retrieving to hand. But how do I work on him returning straight to me and not going to check that second mark? Thanks for all you do. You've been a huge help in working with my first bird dog. So thank you very much. I'm glad we could be helpful with our videos and, um, That's a great question. I uh, can tell you that I definitely have an answer. I think that um, in that situation, we're just going to put just a little bit more emphasis on the recall aspect of things. We're going to say once they have it, we're going to pull focus. Hey, 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 pull that focus back to us. Get the dog back to us. No Um, shopping. The other side of it, too, is you can put a wider distance between them, which is going to make that easier Instead of your double mark being like this, you make your double mark like this or even clear to 180 degrees. Maybe that's more difficult. Maybe it's not, but it's definitely going to make it easier to keep them from trying to run to the second one. So 
The other side of it is uh, a good friend of ours and someone that you may or may not know, Bob Owens with Lone Duck Outfitters has just rekindled his uh, YouTube channel that he'd started quite a while ago. And what we can do is hit him up on his newest video called Extending Marks and comment Pink Gun in there. We're asking you to do this as a way to show him some Pink love. Gun video request. And then what I'll do is ask him and say, hey, we're getting uh, some questions about this. Maybe you could throw this in. Um, I've got a quick little trip up there to hang out, and we might be able to get it done then on how a true retriever trainer would actually go about this introduction and working through that problem. Yeah, so that'll be a really good opportunity to see it in action. So great question, Nick. Next question from Nayeli. Sorry if I said that wrong. Yawa question, which I love that when you guys are labeling these Yawa questions, it makes my job so much easier finding these questions in all of the other comments. So what is the coldest temperature you bring the GSPs out hunting? I'm skeptical about bringing my short hair goose hunting. North Dakota weather is really cold. Yeah. Don't I know it? I'm born and raised in North Dakota, went to college in Grand Forks. Burr, double burr, 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 burr. As That's my great-grandfather also... would say, colder than Billy Hell. Yes, and that's why I also live in Kansas now. If anybody else has ever heard that or know what that means, put it in the comments below. So that's a good question, though, and it's you know one of those things that you think it would be common sense and it would be, oh, well, you can hunt to this specific temperature or your dog will let you know or any of that, and that's not necessarily the case. Um, we see that all the time, not only with cold temperatures, but with hot temperatures, um, both ends of the extremes. Dogs are, especially short hairs and other working breeds, they're very driven animals. They yep work hard, and we need to be their advocate. So we're the ones that say, it's getting too cold out for you, or it's getting too hot out for you, and we need to take a break, we need to warm up, we need to cool down, whatever the case may be. Um, And there are some specific signs of hypothermia that we wanted to go over. We quick looked them up when I knew I wanted to answer this question. Okay, so I would assume that you have probably seen your dog shivering before if you've been in the cold, but it's a strong shivering and trembling followed by no shivering. So doing a lot of shivering, the shivering goes away. They didn't magically just warm up, warm up. Um, It's probably one of the earliest stages there of hypothermia. We also have acting sleepy or lethargic and weak. We're getting pretty extreme when we're getting to this point. Uh, fur and skin are cold to the touch. That's going to be scary. Body temperatures below 95 degrees. Now, I don't know anybody that carries the thermometer out there in the blind with them to check that. But if you get them back to the truck, check them. The dog is that low. That's a bad deal. Next, we've got a decreased heart rate. Um, dog's heart rate is probably. I don't know. I'm going to take a stab at like 90 beats a minute. I don't know. We'll look that up here in a minute. That was just a stab in the dark. Don't quote him on that. No quotes, please. Uh, Decreased heart rate. uh, Dilated pupils. This would be one that you should be able to see while the dog is with you in the blind. Gums and inner eyelids are pale or blue. Blue would be a bad deal. Blue would be bad. Yep. Pale isn't, uh, could be a sign of cooler, but um, 
you know, really warm gums are going to be red, uh, paler. It's the, the blood is moving away from the surface there. And if their mouth is trying to go mouth, back to their core to keep their internal organs as warm as possible. This is one yep. thing that we check for, um, that gum color for other things too. If we have a dog just not semen right, um, we'll check gums for, um, basically capillary refill. So you'll pull up their lip mm-hmm. and you'll press your finger against their gum and you'll pull it away. And if it, if it turns white and comes back to pink yes, or red, I guess quickly, then you're all good. If it, doesn't look like it changes color. Well, that's because their gums are already really white um, Not to begin with. Or if you press it and it turns white and it takes a long time to fill back up, those are definitely um, to pink and back up. That's definitely things to be watching for. Trouble walking, trouble breathing, stupor, unconsciousness, or coma. So this seems like a pretty progressive list uh, headed in the direction oh, of bad, bad, bad. bad. Um, but... If your dog is doing a bunch of shivering, I mean, that's going to be the earliest stage. And that's one that I've read on multiple different places that you need to be probably paying attention if there's a lot of what seems to be uncontrollable shivering. Now, I will say I've seen some dogs from an excitement standpoint that, um, you know, almost quiver with excitement. But if it's cold and there's a lot of factors that play into what cold is depending on humidity levels and wind and water. And you were talking about goose hunting. So, you know, also if your dog's getting in the water, then out of the water and things like that and not just being on land. If you're in a pit blind where they can warm up or if you're in the water and they don't have a place to really get out of the water, it's going to make it pretty tough. So there's a lot of things to play into that. But ultimately, um, I would say... If we're above zero, um, most of our short hairs do all right, but they're actively running and hunting. So if you're sitting still, you've got to take that in consideration as well. I can think of one time we were in South Dakota hunting and it was the most brutal conditions that I have ever hunted in. Are you thinking of when I was there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got to go guiding with Ethan on one group and it was my last group because I think I got hypothermia. I got frostbite. I feel like my toes were going to fall off in the bottom of my boots. When I would take a shower, I would have pins and needles and itching and it was terrible. It was definitely the signs of frostbite. Yeah. My, um, the tips of my ears hurt for a very long time. So. And are super sensitive now to even mild cold. Yeah, it, it can be. And it was really bad for a few years. Now it's, it's kind of come out of it a little bit, but it still is the point where it's like, it's like 40 degrees outside and the tops of my ears start to hurt. So um, if you see me wear multiple stocking caps, don't judge, okay? Um, but then the, the it says the treatment for hypothermia in dogs. This I found more uh, amusing, not in a ha-ha kind of way, but in an ironic or... In a way where it's like, really? You have to say that to so people? So step one, remove your dog from the cold. Ding, ding, ding. Winner, winner. Yeah. Okay. If your dog's too cold, they need to warm up. You know, we all could make the mistake of uh, allowing our dogs to get too cold, but I think most of us understand that taking them out of the cold is the best thing uh, for them to do if they're getting too cold. So, awesome question. Yes, and hopefully you don't run into any situations with your dogs getting too cold and hypothermia. Best- Sorry, I don't have a specific magic answer of as long no. as it's above 27 degrees, you're fine. But I do want to say, if you're ever in doubt, 
just call the hunt. I mean, really is the dog's health and well-being worth risking for a few more birds, a few more hours out hunting? No, it definitely isn't. Come back, warm up, take a break. And we always say, if it's too cold for you to be out there, it's too cold for your dogs to be out there. So good rule of thumb to keep in mind. Next question, which I wanted to answer this one because it kind of hit home for me a little bit. Um, So from H. Jennings, hi, I'm actually here to try and overcome my own gun shyness. I am a naturally anxious. We're talking about the person? Yes. Okay. I am a naturally anxious person, but I have been around gun owners all my life and shot guns on several occasions throughout the years. It seems to be about the sound more than anything else. I know all of the basics as far as safety, safety on and finger off the trigger until it's time to fire and always keep the gun towards the ground and never towards people. So it's not that I'm afraid of the gun itself. Would maybe going to the range and exposing myself to the noise perhaps make me more comfortable with it? It always seemed like after the first few shots I took, the more comfortable I became and was able to focus more on lining up the sights. When I practice with a CO2 pistol, I have zero problems and I'm actually quite a good shot. So this I thought was a good question as well as an interesting question. And one that I don't think that people, um, talk about all that often, honestly. And the reason hats off to you for throwing it up there. I mean, it would be something to be, could you could potentially be self-conscious about this fact or or whatever else. So yeah. So kudos to you for asking the question, because I'm sure there's a lot more people out there that are uncomfortable or have some sensitivity that they're not necessarily talking about. And the reason I wanted to bring it up is, so I have also been around guns and shooting and hunting my whole life. And I feel very comfortable shooting, um, whether we're hunting or just plinking in the backyard, but we went to a range and that's why I wanted to bring this up. So we went to an indoor range, um, because Ethan's mom actually wanted to try shooting a couple pistols because she was looking to get a concealed carry permit. And she's like, well, before I do that, I definitely need to feel comfortable and safe handling a pistol and knowing what kind of pistol I would be interested in concealing. Yep. Getting the opportunity to try a few different types from revolvers to semi-automatics to different calibers and things like that. So we're like, yeah, we'll go to an indoor range and do that. So we were there in an indoor range and you've got people shooting on this side of you, people shooting on this side of you and this and this and this and this, and you're wearing hearing protection, but I was having severe anxiety while we were in there. I didn't like Uh, my heart was racing. I was very uncomfortable and I'm comfortable shooting, um, pistols and being around rifles and everything else. But it was so loud and there was so much gunfire and it was overwhelming. You could feel the percussion. Like somebody came in. The reverberation in your chest. It was. Somebody came in maybe with rifles on the end, like the pistol, the other people shooting pistols wasn't as bad, but the people that came in with. Uh, rifles toward the end of when we were shooting, but it was just one of those things that you could feel every single shot from everybody all the time and hear and all of it going off all at once. It was very overwhelming. Yeah. And so my recommendation would be not to immerse yourself in an indoor range situation, especially if there's, it's a busier day or something like that. Um, because it was very overwhelming. It made me who I would consider myself fairly proficient and comfortable around guns as well, um, made me very nervous and anxious. And 
it sounds like, you know, you've shot a little bit and after a few shots, you kind of get into it. You feel more comfortable. Um, you're not flinching. You're not, you know, surprised by the shot almost. So I feel like you more need to just go out and shoot for yourself a little more frequently and kind of desensitize yourself that way. Shoot some clays or go to an outdoor range. Well, honestly, you may be able to make the same type of progression that we typically do with the dogs. And that would be start with warming yourself up with that CO2 pistol, right? So you get comfortable pulling the trigger. You know that you're not flinching. You know that you feel comfortable with that. And then move up to something like a 22 rifle. That would be probably about as light of load and low of recoil and sound and all of those things that you could get. And then move up the ladder from that to if you can get a hold of maybe a 410. That would be a really... Um, and shoot the the um, either two and a half or two and three quarter. I believe they make them in two and a half. Um, for the four tens, but shoot the lightest target loads that you can get. Um, and then once you feel comfortable with that, you know, a 28 would be the next step up, but sometimes the 28s can be harder to find, but move to a semi-automatic 20 gauge, which is going to cut down on the recoil aspect of things over a break open or a single shot type of gun. And then you could move, I mean, you don't need to move up from that point. I almost exclusively hunt with a 20 gauge. So that would be 100% fine. And making that progression uh, for yourself may be, may be what you need. Yeah. And also not just, oh, today I shot the CO2 pistol. Now I'm shooting the 22 rifle. The next day, almost like a momentum thing, I shot the CO2 pistol, feel comfortable, a little more in my element and feel the momentum of it, then moving straight into the rifle and seeing, you know, gauging yourself and saying, I still felt a little anxious with that. You need some more desensitizing, if you will, before moving on to another caliber or another gauge of shotgun, Um, as well as I was going to say going to a range and an open range, like outside. Outside. Yeah. Um, and maybe on a day that it's not very busy or joining a club where you have access when it's not a bunch of club shooting and you can go out there and just shoot some clays for yourself. Maybe you have a friend that could come and shoot with you and you could take turns or shoot together and see how that kind of builds for you as well. Because, um, part of like the dog side of things that we were talking about with gun sensitivity issues is we are also trying to find something that the dogs are really excited and pumped up about. And that's usually birds or like we did a recent video that you'll be seeing soon with thunder. We did one with bumpers because he has a lot of retrieving desire. Um, but finding something that I don't want to say distracts you to make you do, you know, unsafe things, but that you're thinking about and concentrating on of almost like a little competition of shooting well, shooting a clay course or something that you're involved in and mentally thinking about instead of just pulling the trigger and being prepared for that shot, if that makes sense. I like it. So that was a really good question. One that I really wanted to end on. So thank you guys for all of your awesome questions this week. It was amazing. It was really hard to pick some of them and I wish we could have got to more. So if we weren't able to get to your questions this week, um, definitely check us out on Patreon because that's a place you can get your questions answered on the daily. Um, And we would love to help you out with those questions, even with some training sessions and things like that. Thanks guys for watching. I'm the guy with the pink gun. And I'm Kat the dog trainer. And we're out of time for this week. We will see you in the next video.